You're watching The Sports Objective, the podcast for Pirates. You're watching the Inside Slant on The Sports Objective. Over the next hour, the guys will be joined by play-by-play voices, beat writers, and other analysts from around the nation as they preview this weekend's college football action. Let's hear from you throughout the show via Facebook Live, on our YouTube channel, or on Twitter at the Sports OBJ. Now, here are the guys. All right, welcome in to the Inside Slant right here on the Sports Objective. We've got a big show lined up, as always. Week number six of college football. And ladies and gentlemen, the glue of the show with uh, one of my brother from a different mother, Bubba Rosenbaum, all the way in China Grove, North Carolina. How are you? I'm doing well, Dave. Hope you are. I am uh, looking forward to what a great night, an action-packed uh, look at college football preview. We do this show every Thursday night live. And, of course, you can go back anytime in the archives on, on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, don't forget about that. Bubba, very excited. Uh, you have the leadoff hitter tonight, so to speak. I know it's a football show, but, uh, man, you outdid yourself again. Yeah, Dave, one of the top stories in college football this year has undoubtedly been the Kansas Jayhawks. And right now, I'd like to welcome in a first-time guest and their beat writer from the, Topeka, the Topeka Capital Journal, Jordan Gusky. Jordan, we appreciate your time this evening. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. No doubt, Jordan. Uh, what a great story that Kansas has been 5-0. and In fact, I said the other night on our post-game show, if we will, we do it on Sunday nights. It's called the um, Pirate Playback. I mentioned in the second half of the show, I was asking the guys the biggest stories of the year. And my number one biggest surprise, if you will, story is Kansas. Talk about uh, what what's the mood like? Can you talk about the team and uh, what a great coach, uh, but hard to believe, man five weeks and you've won five games. That's really awesome. Yeah. You mean, like mood around, mood around campus is, uh, I guess I should say, you know, the Lawrence community in general is just, it's just nine day compared to a year ago uh, at this time. You know, obviously there's a lot of um, interest around the, the men's basketball program. They went on and won a national title. Um, so that had the fan base going really good. But, you know, I think as Lance has said before, this fan base was starving for football to get to, you know, where it is now. And, and the fact that it's reached this point so quickly uh, in his rebuild of the program after more than a decade of just really struggling, uh, I think you can tell how much the fan base is, you know, energized by this. And obviously they sold out three straight games uh, for the first time in more than a decade too. Um, so it's, it's a little crazy around here for sure. No doubt. Uh, you talk about that enthusiasm. You mentioned the three straight sellouts. Uh, obviously something that has not been happening uh, in several years there in Lawrence. But you know, talk about you know, college game day coming to town this weekend. Um, obviously, Sonny Dykes in his first year uh, there at TCU and the Horn Frogs are off to a tremendous start. Uh, you know, ranked 17th and obviously the Jayhawks 19th. Who would have who thunk it? But uh, what an awesome sight that will be to see college game day in town. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a coach's poll guy, so I'm going to go Kansas 17, TCU 18 just for me. But, uh, yeah, it, it's great, uh, you know, to, to see just, uh, you know, a fan base rally around a, a team that deserves it, obviously. And and like you mentioned, college game days in town. And that's, uh, you know, they, they're setting up the um, the stage and everything, all that's set up. And obviously a lot of interest around it. People are there taking pictures and everything. You know, it, it's brought a lot of excitement, a new element to 
add to what's been a pretty magical season so far for Kansas. It's it's uh, it's really cool to see. And I know we were talking in a pre-show in the green room that it's too early, but you have such a Lance Leipold, such a hot commodity right now, um, which is a great uh, problem to have if you're Kansas. But with all the excitement uh, and um, with certainly I know that uh, you told us Kansas is trying to do everything they can to keep coach. That's the best way to ask it, right? Yeah, I, I, you know, I think Travis has mentioned um, to different people uh, in, in the last, you know, in the weeks that have gone by that, you know, they're going to do what they, they can to make sure the holds their coach for the future. I mean, even before the season started, they tacked on another year um, to his contract, sort of, a, you know, because of when he got here um, last season, you know, and I believe, you know, April, May, uh, you know, after spring practice, basically it had already wrapped up and after all that time. So, you know, the extra year was sort of a, uh, you know, acknowledgement that 2021 is sort of year, year zero. But yeah, they're doing a lot to try to uh, keep them. Big announcement coming tomorrow regarding the football program that I think a lot of people anticipate is going to be surrounding the stadium uh, and what they're going to do with Red Nations there because they've been planning that for a while, looking at it really ever since Travis Scott uh, to, to campus and took over as the AD not long before Leipold was brought on as the football coach. But yeah, doing what they can. And I'm, I'm not sure even you know, a lot that they could do could probably take away the rumors of a school like Wisconsin or Nebraska or whatever other opening may uh, pop up because Lance is going to be such a hot name in the, in the coaching carousel because of what he's done in Kansas. But, you know, I think you can definitely tell that Kansas is committed to trying to make sure that Lance is their coach for the long term uh, and for good reason because they're, you know, ranked for the first time in a heck of a long time too. Jordan, um, one of our good friends, Jay Sonhalter, he's an ESPN Plus analyst, and he was out there for the game, the season opener against Tennessee Tech, and he had the opportunity, obviously, to visit with the coaching staff and um, be shown around um, the facilities, as you're you're saying, um, as far as how the Jayhawks have made a commitment and will continue to enhance that commitment. So um, just um, – just talk about over this last year plus I'm getting to know coach Leipold and staff, you know, some of the things that have been your biggest takeaways and why you think that he's having the success he's having. Yeah, I think, you know, I think, you know, if you're around Lance long enough, you'll hear him say alignment a good, a good bit, which I think is a pretty, you know, hot word in, in the, you know, college football industry right now, just alignment, having alignment with coaching staff, players, administration, all that thing. And I think, they've achieved that they've got alignment. Obviously you're going to have some movement in coaching staff and, and, and roster from time to time, especially when there's a, you know, a, a new head coach coming in to take over a program. But I think there's alignment right now in what they're doing. Coaches who have connections to Leipold. I mean, both his coordinators have been with him for years, um, dating back to the division three level at Wisconsin Whitewater, where he won six national championships. Uh, and I think as you've seen that alignment come, as you've seen the players buy into what he's doing, uh, Matt Gildersleeve, their director of sports performance, has done a great job uh, implementing what they want to implement, doing some some cool stuff there. And and I think right now you just see a team that's a whole lot more comfortable uh, with what they're doing, considering, like I said, how late in the process Lance and his staff got here last year. Now they've had that full offseason. They've been able to work through everything. Clearly their offense is a lot more versatile. You had some great pieces on defense through the transfer portal and otherwise, and the defense is doing a lot better. Clearly, you know, they're able to win a game that's only 14-11. So, you know, that those are sort of the things they're standing out right now with this group. Very exciting time there, uh, Lawrence, Kansas. You, with the with uh, Kansas, uh, with we talked about, you were just talking about the uh, basketball championship. 
uh, former East Carolina head coach uh, Joe Dooley is out there in uh, Kansas to be back with uh, with Bill Self, which is great. Uh, for, I know that's a great thing for him, uh, for sure. As far as uh, football, though, I mean, you already have the five wins. Uh, I know you guys, uh, obviously, to go to a bowl would be a big thing, but uh, certainly looks like you guys, uh, one of the questions I had for you, Jordan, is it's amazing the parity in as far as the Big 12 and college football as a whole, but especially the Big 12, I think, is probably number one, wouldn't you say? You mean like parity in the Big 12, you're saying? Yeah. Um, for football, I mean, I guess, you know, this year there's been a lot of it. I, I, so I don't know, going through that basketball season this past year for men's basketball, I wonder if that's still, you know, more of a more of that than football. But, you know, football has definitely shown it this fall. You know, TCU just beat up on Oklahoma in a way. I'm not sure many uh, people expected them to before the season. Obviously, Kansas State's doing well. You know, so say that Kansas has a lot to root for. But yeah, there's definitely a lot of parity right now in this conference. Jordan, as you take a look at this team, uh, if, if you would, and you know, talk about this offense. Um, you mentioned um, not as many, many uh, points in uh, production against Iowa State, but um, prior to that, Houston, uh, they had really lit up the scoreboard. Obviously, that game at West Virginia that went into overtime. So uh, just talk about Jalen Daniels and the way – uh, this offense has really been rolling. Yeah, you know, I think I said it on on a podcast. I think earlier today, or or maybe yesterday, um, whichever one it was. Like, if you were gonna sort of mold what you want a Division One quarterback to be, you know, act like, play like, I feel like it's Jalen Daniels. Just the way he carries himself, the way he's been able to produce on the field, like that's what you would want in a Division One quarterback at this level. Um, and and so I think, you know, it, it obviously starts with him, but he's had a great offensive line to play behind. There was some talk about the depth beyond the first, you know, six, seven guys, but those first six, seven guys have done so well, you haven't really needed to talk about it all that much um, just with how well they've been playing. And then you've got a great group of running backs, you know, Daniel Hyshaw Jr. goes down with what could be a season-ending injury. He'll at least be out with or out for a long time. But, you know, Kai Thomas, Sevion Morrison are both Power 5 level transfers that have joined Kansas in the offseason. Kai Thomas led Minnesota in rushing last year, I believe. So it's not like he's not tested uh, or proven. So, uh, and then you got a wide receiver core where it's pretty balanced. So you don't really know who they're going to throw the ball to um, when you're defending Kansas. So yeah, there's there's a lot to like on that offense. And yeah, they had a down week against Iowa State, but you give them a couple different plays that were very nearly going their way, and Kansas probably has you know 28, maybe 31 points, and we're not talking about their defense or sorry, their their offensive struggles as much. Yeah, that's one of the things that really stood out to me looking over their offensive numbers. You've had nine guys catch touchdown passes and uh, talk about um, the two leaders in terms of receptions and yardage have been what Luke Grimm and Lawrence Arnold. Yeah, you know, they're really reliable pass catchers. I think heading into this offseason when, when Kansas was, you know, formulating that room, didn't really add a whole lot, added a transfer from Minnesota. Um, and Doug, um, he hasn't really necessarily done a whole lot yet this season on the field and games in terms of reception and production. So they really look to the guys who they brought back, uh, which, you know, as we mentioned, Lawrence Arnold and, and Luke Grimm. And they're, like I said, very reliable pass catchers, two guys you thought were probably going to be up there um, to lead the team. And they definitely delivered. Talk about uh, your defense as far as uh, the Jayhawks. I know you talked about they had to rely on their. Um, we're not scoring a lot of points, but 
Uh, what about this defense? Uh, we know about Lance Leipold, but what about the defense and um, how is that looking so far this year? Looking pretty good to be five and zero. Yeah, yeah. You know, last season there were definitely some games where they really struggled. You know, I think Brian uh, mentioned it. Brian, their their defensive coordinator at Kansas, um, mentioned it. I think this week that last season they sort of played some different guys who they just sort of had to play them. They weren't necessarily ready to play, but with how you know limited Kansas was and what they were able to put on the field in terms of you know personnel. They had to play some of those guys, but now those guys have the experience. You had some pretty um, instrumental transfers like Lonnie Phelps on the at defensive end, and this group is really starting to show progression. You know, week after week, they're allowing the fewest points they have against FBS opponents so far in the about year and a half that Leipold and Borland have been in Lawrence. Excuse me. And so I think you're really starting to just see, like I mentioned earlier, that comfortability with each other translate to the field. Kenny Logan, senior safety, just had probably the best game uh, of this season uh, against Iowa State, um, made some big plays. Craig Young, a transfer from Ohio State, has been great at linebacker, really playing free uh, in his first season at Kansas. So, you know, a lot to like in what they're doing on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, we'll see what they're able to do um, against a TCU team that I think just put up 55 on Oklahoma. Yeah, nice segue. Under for this matchup is at seventy, depending on where you look. And uh, Max Duggan, uh, the performance he had against Oklahoma, as you mentioned, up fifty-five points, and I think in excess of right around six hundred yards. And I, I know in, in excess Max had about five hundred, but um, just a remarkable performance. And with his throwing and running abilities, and obviously Jalen Daniels, who we've already discussed, is a tremendous dual threat. So uh, it would not shock me at all to see a lot of fireworks in this one. Yeah, no, I think that's what a lot of people are probably expecting heading into this one. Um, Like you mentioned, Max, uh, I think Brian, I think it was Brian, um, described uh, Max as sort of like someone who's able to run the ball, but he's built like a linebacker. Like he's, he's not just some, you know, frail guy out there. Um, trying to make things happen with his legs when that, um, you know, presents itself. But uh, like I said, I think a lot of people, like you mentioned, are expecting, a, uh, you know, a shootout. And I think there's definitely reason to to think that that might happen. But, you know, I don't think a lot of people are expecting 14-11 for the Iowa State-Kansas game. So we'll see what happens. Jordan, if you will, talk about uh, the third side of the ball, if you will, with special teams. How have special teams been this year for the Jayhawks? Yeah, you know, I, I guess I would say it's been reliable. You know, they haven't been losing games um, on special teams. Obviously, they haven't lost any games, but that's not been an area where you've looked and said, wow, if they don't figure this out, um, they're in trouble. Uh, you know, I think Jacob, their kicker, has been pretty good at you know at field goals. Obviously, missed, I think, a 50-yarder against Iowa State, but, you know, I think for the college level, 50 is a, a tough ask at times. Um, but, he, you know, have, they haven't been missing extra points, haven't really been leaving points out on the field. Um, so that's a, that's a good thing for them. And then, obviously, They've had some pretty big takeaways. Um, a couple, you know, recovered by Tory Laughlin, one at West Virginia, one against Iowa State that, you know, West Virginia led to points. Iowa State it didn't, but both times it takes away a possession um, from an offense that had been driving the ball on them. So, uh, you know, I think overall, you know, really good uh, start to the year from their special teams. Haven't really seen a whole lot from their return game. I think if you're saying what's an area where you want to see improvement from that group for Kansas, and I'd probably say the return game, but in some ways um, you're sort of dealing with what the the other team gives you at that point because if they're 
kicking touchbacks and you're just making the smart decisions to not try to push anything, you might not get a good return game uh, at certain points. Taking a look at the upcoming schedule, uh, you know, what after this, uh, you have at Oklahoma and then also at Baylor. So um, two very uh, challenging road tests there, uh, you know, despite obviously uh, you've had Oklahoma uh, struggle out of the gates in the in the Big 12, but um, going to Norman and, uh, and winning is obviously a tall task, a tall task anytime. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think uh, before the season, some of these games are ones that, you know, I highlighted as if you thought, like, what could Kansas do in, in 2022 to surprise people nationally like they did when they beat Texas down in Austin last season for a game that I was at, which was just a bizarre scene post game, just seeing all the Texas fans leaving the stadium. But um, yeah, it's definitely a tough portion of the, the schedule they're going into. It looks a whole lot different now um, because of Kansas and, and what they've been able to do so far this season. But I mean, like you mentioned, going to Norman's always going to be tough because it's Norman, it's Oklahoma. Baylor obviously just won the Big 12 title. Um, so you got to give them credit. Uh, and then later on, they play, you know, Oklahoma State, still got to play Texas, Texas Tech, some other teams. So. It's going to be a tough end of the season, but if they go 6-0 here with a win against TCU on Saturday, you know, like, why not? You know what I mean? No doubt. Uh, obviously, no shortage of confidence now, and rightfully so. And it's certainly going to be very intriguing to see how the season plays out. Uh, as Dave mentioned, the Big 12 and uh, just um, – in a, in a ridiculous amount of parity thus far, and uh, who knows this year with Oklahoma already having losses, Texas has a loss, and uh, it's really up for grabs. Yeah, it definitely is. I think um, you know, obviously, this weekend's going to be huge if Kansas can get to three and zero in the Big Twelve. From at this point in the schedule, it's put itself in a great position to even if it, you know, takes a couple losses here and there. Uh, to be in a position to at least still compete and not have those losses mean what they could have before the season started. No doubt. Jordan, thank you so much, as always, for coming on here on the Inside Slant. Give everybody, I know you're the uh, the beat writer for the Topeka Capital Journal. Uh, tell everybody about how they can follow you and uh, as far as social media, and we'd love to be able to see your work as well. Yeah, if you want to just go to the Topeka Capital Journal's website, you can, you can find my stuff there, uh, social media. Um, same sort of deal, but it's just my name, Jordan Gusky, on, on Twitter. If you go to Instagram, you can do that too, but it's just going to be pictures of dogs for the most part. So if you want to, feel free. Look at pictures of dogs. But yeah, I think that's sort of you know where I'm at. All right. Thanks, man, for coming on. Great story in college football. The Kansas Jayhawks 5-0. and We'll see how uh, if the second half of the season plays out. Thanks so much, and uh, love to have you back on. Enjoy the visit. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks, man. Appreciate it a lot. We're here on the Inside Slant. We do it every Thursday nights uh, right here, getting you ready for a big college football weekend. And uh, just like with Jordan with the, uh, there with the Kansas Jayhawks and uh, covering that team, what a great story, Bubba. And looking forward to seeing how uh, the second half of the season uh, plays out, uh, no doubt about it. And uh, Bubba, I know with, uh, with this season has been, I think, with the Pirates, a little bit disappointing. We were talking about, uh, I was talking about with a friend of mine, um, they were talking about we could easily be right before we came on five and zero, oh, um, but just like that with the Jayhawks, they've had uh, nice breaks there and uh, certainly great coaching staff. Appreciate all that they're doing 
uh, there. And I'm, I'm happy I was telling you, Bubba, that I mean, I was telling Jordan, there's a lot of people acting like that, just writing that program off like they could never win. And look, they've got one of the best coaches in college football. That's uh, the uh, the most obvious thing ever um, to say. But uh, congratulations to them. I'm happy for that fan base. And it just goes to show that don't believe people when they say that something can't be done, like the Jayhawks never being, you know, like being good again or one of the worst jobs in college football. Whether that may have been true, um, Lance has owned it and he's a great coach. Yeah, Lance Leipold has won wherever he's been. And much like the the coach, the Pirates will be facing on Saturday afternoon, uh, Willie Fritz. You know, whether it was Georgia Georgia Southern, uh, I believe uh, Sam Houston State, as well as some other uh, Division II programs, Willie Fritz has been successful and Lance Leipold has been much the same. Uh, He referenced his time. Um, Jordan, that is, uh, referenced Coach Leipold's time at Wisconsin-Whitewater where he won more national championships than he lost games, which is just <laughs> remarkable. And, and then, and then obviously, um, Buffalo, uh, not extremely familiar with their situation, but it's not like, uh, you know, you know, there as well as Kansas, yes, you certainly have things going for you, but uh, relative to your competition – especially the Kansas job and uh, their lack of success. Uh, it's very remarkable uh, what he's done so quickly. It's not – I thought he would be successful when he went there, but if you'd have told me that he was going to be 5-0 and and um, winning the way they're winning this early in his tenure, like he – and we'll see how it plays out, um, but um, – a heck of a heck of a coach and a heck of a job that he and his staff are doing so far in Lawrence. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if he elects to remain there or if he uh, chooses to, to move on to somewhere like Nebraska or elsewhere. No doubt about it. And I think that with him, what's great about this story is that um, if anybody had said that they would be 5-0, and <laughs> unless you're a uh, Nostradamus or you're a diehard Jayhawk Kansas football fan, and you just say, hey, we're going to win every game, which would be crazy. Um, I saw them as a, I don't know about you, Bubba, I saw them, you know, as a bowl team because he's a great coach and had, had the program headed in the right direction. But I don't think nobody, I don't know who, who else saw this coming at 5-0 and uh, for this program, but really proud and happy for them and uh, great uh, to have uh, Jordan on because, uh, you know, I was saying the other night, I think uh, with uh, Kansas has been great. Duke is a great story with Coach Mike Elko and Durham. And I think it's Syracuse is another program that comes to mind that's been uh, a great surprise and happy for those uh, fans because I know they're, I know they love their orange as far as basketball. But um, you remember, Bubba, we had a lot of great matchups there in the 90s with uh, Syracuse. I'd love to see that uh, team, at least a home and home, um, back on the schedule. Um, in the near future. Yeah, I would love to see them back on the schedule. I won't hold my breath there because I, I – No, I don't. I know, so. I, I know and now this is going back, you know, 15 to 20 years back to the the early parts of the uh, Terry Holland tenure, 2004, 2005. Uh, but I just remember Coach Holland talking about, you know, Syracuse <clears throat> buying their way out of some games if I – in recalling correctly, and uh, and so it was a situation, you know, for whatever reason they wanted out. Uh, but yes, the the two programs did have a 
a good relationship from, I guess, uh, 19, the late eighties, you know, up. All right. I lost you there, Bubba. If, uh, if you can hear me, I've lost you. I can't I hear wanna, you. I want to say maybe it was 88 that they came to Greenville and then, uh, 89 pirates lost a heartbreaker in the carrier dome. And, um, and they played, you know, not every year, but most every year there for uh, several years throughout the 90s up until 2000, uh, a game that the Pirates won in the rain at Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. Oh, man. And uh, can you put this comment above a Craig, our good friend from Virginia, a uh, great listener, viewer of our show of the Sports Objective. And he says his first game was Syracuse in 93 at home. And Craig, I remember was, it well. Um, uh, Marcus, Marcus Crandall's first game as a Pirate. And, uh, he and Morris Letcher, who we've had on the show, um, and living out in the Kansas City area and where he was originally from. But, um, yeah, Mark Crandall and Mo Letcher, you know, hooked up a couple times that night uh, on, uh, seems like it was post routes going towards what is now the Murphy Center that was not there then. Right. And, and the, the Pirates gave the orange um, – all they wanted for about two and a half quarters when then Syracuse's depth and experience, uh, it seems like they had you know, Quadri Quadri Ismail um, the, that was known as the Missile. Obviously, his brother, the Rocket, played for Notre oh, Dame. Yeah. Rocket, yeah. yeah. But um, the Missile uh, you know, had it seemed like had some uh, good plays that night, and then I want to say. Uh, Kirby Dardar, I know Johnny Gardner and I have talked about his name. Uh, Kirby Dardar was a name that he seemed like he played for Syracuse for about eight years. Well, this day and time, if it was if it was during this era with COVID, you could <laughs> now not that many years, but uh, certainly five or six. Uh, and Bubba, by the way, Craig, I was there at that game too, and I remember that. That's the game. And Bubba, you're the historian of the show, but help me if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. Was that not the game where those frat boys uh, got in a fight and they? It, it was. It was. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. There's a platform there. Oh, well, probably about the 30 yard line. It's where the band used, not too far from where the band used to sit. Yeah. And, uh, and yes, uh, somebody got a karate kick to the chest up there on that platform. But fortunately, the, the television cameras did not catch it like you said uh, it was a fight between two two frats yeah and the sad thing is actually Bubba they did what happened was um that game if you remember those of us that love if you love a night game and uh Craig says yep it was the story of the game unfortunately what happened is uh that was the last I don't know the you know as far as it was a long time before we had a night game because uh they had a whole bunch of time to drink some pirate beverages and uh, what happened is ESPN had the footage, um, but they broke away to commercial and they did everything they could. That's when Thursday night football used to mean something in college football. It doesn't to me as much now because that was the game. It was one game. That's it. And uh, Dave Hart had done a nice job by getting us the ESPN contract, not to get too off the topic. We're talking about the inside slant, a weekly college football preview, but um, that game bubble was crazy because there were there was guys that got kicked out of the school. I don't know if you remember that, um, but there were kids that got kicked out of school. 
um, expelled from school, all kinds of stuff. And what happened is the way they decided who the kids were that got expelled or who started the fight or whatever is ESPN was shooting on that side um, and they had footage of the fight and they were did a as ESPN would a class act to go to commercial, do everything they could to not have a fight on national television for the pirates. Um, but that, that's what they, they went back and reviewed that film and like a film study, if you will. And that's how they kicked those guys out. Craig, uh, thank you for bringing that up because that uh, was a great memory as far as I love pirate football games at night. And I'll just tell you this, Craig, you know where I was a winner? Uh, winner, winner, where I was a winner is that the Pizza Hut on Greenville Boulevard, uh, my best friend and I like tore that <laughs> buffet up at Pizza Inn that's no longer uh, there um, on Greenville Boulevard, but it was a great night. A whole bunch of great pizza. I was stuffed. I shouldn't have eaten that much and I ate too much and then went to that game and to have that happen. And of course, uh, Marcus Crandall being uh, ECU Hall of Famer, what a great career Mark had. And uh, he's been a guest on the show. Yes. Anyway, let's get back to the hey, and, and, uh, and later that night, uh, you, you were like Craig's dad and Friday. No, nobody go in the bathroom for, for 35 to 45 minutes and, and somebody open a window. Well, what happened is at that time when I was going to East Carolina, I was living on a mobile, um, a mobile home park. It's Highland Mobile Home Park, and it's right near Burke Valley. And I was living in a single wide, so I, I could have blown up that. Uh, I didn't, but I could have potentially blown up that single wide trailer. I can tell you that right now. Uh, but in, <laughs> uh, anyway, the Inside Atlanta Weekly College Football Preview. Appreciate you joining us tonight. And if you've got a question or comment, do you like Craig? And uh, Matt, Matt uh, put up there, Matt uh, said, Big 12 is much closer to the AAC than the SEC. And uh, he had that on when Jordan was on. But anyway, um, I think you're right, Matt. <laughs> Greg says, Craig said he's dying. Craig and I, I believe, are the same age. I graduated in 95, uh, or he might be a little bit younger, but um, those were the days, man. I, I I said that when we started this podcast four and a half years ago, Bubba, and when you came aboard and we, you and I were talking initially, that I pray to God that we can have pirate football like we did back. You and I were reminiscing about times in the 80s and 90s and uh, when pirate football was not that it wasn't good during Skip Holtz or roughing me, Neil, don't get me wrong, but that's when I was really, really, uh, <laughs> that's when I really, really was, uh, starting out as a pirate in 1986 as a fan and just great stuff. The dogs then said eating and blowing up the toilet, please. Uh, <laughs> Dave, you got to stop giving people visuals. Yeah. Well, no, you brought it up. I, I I, I'm, I'm kidding. No, uh, the dogs. Yes. Didn't. Yes. The dogs then I, I was, uh, it was, it was just something when Dave said what he said, uh, about pizza. I could, I, I could not, uh, I could not resist the the Friday reference, but uh, I just thought about was it John Witherspoon that was Craig's uh, dad in the movie yeah. Friday? That sounds right. Uh, hilarious scene, but uh, now getting back to football, you know, last weekend we talked about you know, some of the uh, stunning results. So not so much that TCU beat Oklahoma, but the way in which they beat them. Uh, being up 41-17 at halftime, rolling up about 670 yards of offense. Uh, so it's going to be very interesting to see this game uh, between Kansas and, and TCU. 
But um, obviously some of the other major takeaways about last weekend, Georgia having the scare in Columbia, uh, Mizzou taking them down to the wire. Uh, who would have ever thought that? And then, uh, you know, Dave, what, what were some of the other uh, big takeaways for you? One of the other ones for me, um, seeing that UCLA uh, is is for real. Now, Washington may not have been, uh, we'll see, um, quite as good as their ranking would have led you to believe at number 15. But uh, nonetheless, uh, Chip Kelly and the Bruins seem yeah. to really be getting things together in Westwood. No doubt about it. You know, uh, Bubba, with that, uh, you you make a great point. I'll just say I'll say this about uh, UCLA. Did, we all knew that Chip Kelly was going to get it done, right? Uh, we knew he was going to get it done. And uh, the one thing, Bubba, that's uh, disappointing is that they're having such a great season. Have you heard out there in uh, the Rose Bowl they're having to give tickets away just to try to get enough fans out there? I mean, that is that is so sad. And uh, the UCLA fans should be ashamed of themselves. And if you're a college football fan like Bubba and I are, and all of you watching and listening, then you would uh, you would probably be going to those games just to just for the heck of it. If we lived out there, uh, we would be going there just yeah. to be able to watch this team. Yeah, I did not see a crowd shot um, from that Washington game, but you know, going back to the the South Alabama game, which they won on a last second field goal, uh, it was extremely sparse. Um, so it will be interesting to see how they draw as the season goes on, if they continue to have the success they're having and are uh, vying for a Pac-12 title. But uh, yeah. Dave, 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 right now, very excited to be joined by a first-time guest on the show. And um, we'd like to welcome in from Go Vols 24-7 Sports, Wes Rucker. Wes, we appreciate your time this evening. Hey, how y'all doing tonight? Doing, doing well. Hope you Hope you are, and you know, as you take a look at things, Wes. Uh, obviously, Tennessee's having their best season in years, and they're they're headed down to the Bayou, uh, getting ready to take on number twenty-five LSU. So, uh, before we dive into that matchup, just tell us about the season to date for Josh Heupel's ball club. Well, it's certainly been a good one. You, you know, it, it's uh, Tennessee was expected to be maybe at least three and one by this point. I think being four and zero. Oh, uh, certainly isn't a shock um, when you look at the team, but it's 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 a good thing for Tennessee. And, and, you know, Tennessee, that Florida game always comes. It's always Tennessee's SEC opener. And, and for years, when they've lost that game, it's just kind of sent things sometimes into a bad spot before they really got started. Uh, and now that Tennessee's, you know, won that game for, what, the first time since 2016, I think the second time in the past, like, 18 years, which is insane to think about like a top 10 all-time winning program but that's what Tennessee's has been recently but getting that game out of the way getting that win kind of opens things up for some real possibilities of some exciting sort of really nationally meaningful games in October and November which is what this program has been for most of its existence it hasn't been recently but uh, it's always been financed that way it's always had the ability to, to do this and now that they've got a coach in there that, that has got the thing figured out Got a great quarterback, um, some exciting players on offense, a couple solid defenders, and here they are. And, Wes, let's talk about the program as a whole real quick before we dive into this week's matchup. Uh, There's so many – we're talking about our last guest covering, obviously, the Kansas Jayhawks. What a great story they are. But when it comes to Tennessee, what a proud tradition you have. And you have an awesome stadium. I've been there uh, twice. It's beautiful there on the campus. It kind of – the great thing about Neal Stadium is that you would not expect – 
a stadium that's that's whatever hundred thousand aesthetically it is absolutely gorgeous where it's located um, when you look when you walk in it's like a it was uh for me a wow factor being a college football fan and we actually just uh walked in the stadium <laughs> just to see it uh we were the Tennessee school for the death there is there in Knoxville where I was coaching in eastern North Carolina uh and Wilson at eastern North Carolina school for the death we played Tennessee and we got a chance to go across town to the Neyland Stadium. But uh, what a great stadium. Uh, but can you talk about the program? And as far as uh, there's a lot of people, I'm sure, that um, had written off Tennessee. But for us, a lot of us that are college football fans, we feel like um, t- Tennessee is one of those programs that needs to be good uh, in order for college football to be good. You know, there's other programs you start naming off brand name teams. But Tennessee is right up there when it comes to college football at the top of the list. Well, first off, this was a shock out of nowhere. I am so glad you mentioned Tennessee School for the Deaf. I love the Vikings. If I had known, I would have worn – I actually have a TSD shirt. Um, oh, wow. Because uh, yeah, a couple few years ago, uh, they when they won the, uh, the the Deaf School National Championship, and, and there wasn't a lot made of it locally, and, and I got kind of furious at that. And I was like, there's national champions here. Let's do something here. Uh, and, and so some of their uniforms needed to be – you know, tuned up and cheerleaders were, were wearing all kinds of mismatch stuff. So we, we started to drive and, and we got some, some things turned around there at least for a little bit. And uh, I, I love that school. I love, I used to live right there, uh, walk down the street from that stadium. Uh, I used wow. to love going down there on Thursdays and Fridays to watch some games. I love, love, love TSD. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, but yes, the uh, Neyland stadium, it's interesting because, you know, from the outside, they're doing some things now to make it a little more aesthetically pleasing outside because it's kind of like an erector set or Castle Grayskull is what it's been for years, kind of right. looking outside. Um, but when you get inside, it's just gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. And, and the thing that makes Neyland, I think, a little different from most of the other 100,000-plus seat stadiums in the country, and I've been to most of them. I've been fortunate to do this for a while now. Uh, I may not look it, but I'm 40. Just kidding. I know I look like it. Um, but, you know, it, it's – the rest of the 100,000 seaters, they kind of fan out a little bit, you know, like the, the, the Michigans, you know, the Rose Bowl is a pretty big stadium. It kind of fans out. Neyland goes straight up and, and it's kind of an imposing coliseum uh, when you're a visiting team in there. Um, but what it means is that if you're in the stadium, you got pretty decent sight lines everywhere because you're just, you, you, you might have to get a, a Sherpa to take you up to the top, but once you get up there, you're, you still got a pretty solid view. And, it, it's a unique place to watch games. It's very loud. Um, you know that color instantly, no matter where you are. Um, and, and you know that checkerboard pretty much no matter where you are. Uh, and it's it's one of those iconic old football cathedrals. And it, it's unfortunately not had a lot of great football for the past dozen or so years. But it looks like maybe, you know, knock on wood, they've got the thing turned around now. And I, I also think it's good for – for college football when Tennessee is good. Uh, I think college football will be okay without Tennessee, but it's better with Tennessee. Uh, it's one of those teams that has a huge, huge fan base across the country, big alumni base. It's a big school, a lot of prominent alumni, NFL guys. It's also got a lot of people who really hate it. And and, and so that, that those kind of teams that people either really love or really hate, it's kind of like the color orange, right? Tennessee's orange. You, know, you either love it or you hate it. Uh, a lot of people do. And, and so – I think it's better for the conversation when, when they are what they should be. And Bubbo, before you, I was also mentioned, I actually am a fan of the song. I love Rocky top. So even though I'm not a volunteer uh, grad or a fan, I, I do like that song a lot. I, I used to love that. Uh, the, it was that old Lou Holtz quote. 
about uh, how, how what was it Holt said? He goes, you know, it's one of the only places I've been where, you know, I've had my ass kicked and I walked away, you know, happily kind of whistling the fight song. You know, he, he's like, what am I doing? I'm walking to the sideline. I'm whistling Rocky Top. And I'm like, wait, I just got beat by 30 points. Why am I doing this? Um, but, yeah, it's one of those songs. It's like War Eagle. You just hear it and you instantly kind of know where you are. Hey, taking a look at this matchup, Wes, um, two tremendous quarterbacks to this point in the season, Jaden mm-hmm. Daniel for LSU and obviously Hendon Hooker lighting it up for the Vols. So, you know, what's your take on on those guys uh, as we enter Saturday's ball game? Well, Hooker's been, I, I mean, maybe revelations too strong a word, but 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 he's been quite a player for Tennessee. You know, he, he fits this offense with Hypo really well. Um, and, and I use the words the word kid a lot when I'm talking about these guys because most of them feel like kids to me. Like the older I get, they 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 feel more and more like kids. Um, but Hooker's not. Hooker's 24 years old. That's a man. That's a grown man. And uh, he's a really mature kid. He's been that way since he was probably 15 years old. He, he's just uh, he was raised the right way. He's got good parents. He, he's he's a really focused kind of kid, a uh, really polite kid. People like being around him. And he's also really athletic and really good, and, and he fits this offense well. Um, I don't know that he's like an elite NFL prospect. You know, a lot of teams are kind of not sure about him that way. But for what Tennessee's doing and what they want him to do, he's he's fantastic, can make every throw. Uh, you know, he look at his stat line against Florida. I mean, it was just – ridiculous 24 of 29 for 349 and three touchdowns and then he ran for 115 yards and another touchdown it's just incredible and Daniels is is a really interesting player to me because you know Brian Kelly say what you will about the guy he's got a nice offense he's a good football coach he he may not be a nice guy but he's a nice football coach Uh, his teams have always won and um, Daniels is a guy who I think fits what he wants to do pretty well Uh, he hasn't been great against you know, decent teams this season. He's kind of beaten up on uh, the, the lesser teams on the schedule. Uh, only had, I think, what, 80, 85 yards passing last week at Auburn. And they won the game, which is the important part. Um, but Daniels has kind of been pushed by Kelly to be a little bit more aggressive, you know, be push it downfield. Uh, don't be terrified of turning the ball over. You know, you don't want to turn it over, but but don't be afraid to do it. Um, but it's interesting that going into this game, what, what's it, October – It'll be October 8th when that game starts, and neither quarterback's thrown a pick this year. I mean, they're 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 both really good quarterbacks. Yeah, and uh Hendon Hooker, you know, for our viewers and listeners, obviously from Greensboro, North Carolina. So that's another yes. interesting note. And proud of it. Proud of it. Yep, and uh, I believe Dudley High School, when Dudley High School had had an mm-hmm. awful lot of success, and uh, he began his career at Virginia Tech and was very good with the Hokies. He he completed in, in excess of 60% of his passes uh, for nearly 3,000 yards, 22 touchdowns, and just seven picks uh, at Virginia Tech. And then, so I really thought Josh Heupel gets his hands uh, on Hendon Hooks and has the chance to develop him even more that uh, he would have the success he's having. Yeah, and, and you know, Hooker's got something like, I, I don't have the exact numbers with me, but I think, since he became Tennessee's starting quarterback, he has accounted for, I think, about 50 touchdowns and two interceptions since he's been Tennessee's starting quarterback, which is just absolutely silly when you think about it. I mean, the numbers he's put up are just – they're like a video game. And it's – it's it's he's, he's a really good player, and he fits Tennessee's offense really well. Uh, he kind of peppers – you know, kind of smooths over some cracks that they've got in other areas. He's been really, really good. 
Yeah, I know Shane uh, Matthews, who's uh, one of the Florida Gators um, legends and, you know, two-time SEC player of the year. Current analyst on their uh, radio network, he said uh, right now, if he had to pick a front runner for the Heisman, it would be Hendon Hooker. Yeah, and uh, I think it was uh, was it I think it was RG three said the same thing last week so, or a couple weeks ago. So yeah, I mean it's early in the season, right? And, and Tennessee still got to you know, got to go to Death Valley. It's still got to you know play Kentucky in a couple weeks. It's still got to uh, travel to Athens, play Georgia, and oh by the way, next week Alabama comes to town here in Knoxville. Uh, so yeah, I mean they're yeah, they got some hurdles in front of them. But if if he goes out there and performs against those teams, why not? Oh, no doubt about it. It's going to be. Interesting. In fact, uh, that that Alabama test, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think with Tennessee and especially with Josh Heupel, I think uh, you guys um, have a shot, uh, certainly compared to other years where you would say, oh, man, this is going to be a, a really tough year. But with Alabama, I don't know that Alabama's good, but, uh, you know, Alabama and Georgia are good this year, but not – they seem like they are um, – in other words, normally they'd be invincible where you're going, well, they're going to probably be automatic in the playoffs. But I think if there's a year to get Alabama, um, this might be a game where you can get them. Yeah, and, and I think what's interesting about Tennessee is that Tennessee's a team that nobody gets excited to play. Tennessee's a team that if you're an opposing coach, it, it, it kind of keeps you up a little bit at night just because, yes, there are some – things about Tennessee's defense that can be exposed. There are some issues there, some things that have got to get better. But that team offensively can just tear you to pieces. I mean, Cedric Tillman, one of the best receivers in the country, did not play uh, against Florida, and you would not know it by looking at the numbers. It it, it was – they're explosive. They're efficient. uh, They're the fastest offense in the country. I think they run a play uh, usually with, you know, more than 20 seconds still on the clock. Uh, They try to go about seven seconds or so after the previous play has been whistled dead. They want to have the ball snapped and go again. They go fast and and they go at you and they spread the field. They take shots downfield. You don't like to play them. You really don't. And Florida, you know, went for it six times on fourth down in that game. And I think a big part of the reason for that was Billy Napier is not a dumb guy. He knew that every time I punt the ball here, uh, I'm I'm really, really hurting my chances of winning this game. And, And plus, if I punt it here, they'll probably be right back where this play is in the snap or two anyway. So I'm just going to go ahead and go for it because I need to score to, to keep them, you know, kind of keep keep themselves in the game. No doubt. And uh, as far as this program, where do you see that it going with uh, Josh Heupel has done a really nice job. And I know that you guys have had tough times. There's been so many coaches and I know people that are friends of mine who are uh, Vols fans and, and, and I would see posts over the years uh, before Heupel and people were like, we deserve better. We we're a great fan base. We deserve better. And I was like, and, and even though I'm not a Vols guy, I was like, I totally agree with them. I mean, you know, it's like, we talk about the fan base, the stadium, the rich tradition, um, the rabbit, I mean, the rabbit fan base is just uh, goes without saying, but uh, where do you see Heupel? Do you think he stays there a good while? I guess it may be hard to say, or do you think maybe he leaves and somebody else comes in? Do you have any idea? It's always so tough to say because you know what? I mean, things are so kind of transient these days. And, and, you know, in a month from now, people here could hate Josh Heupel. I very much doubt that. But, I mean, you never really know. But I'll say this about Heupel. He likes being here. You know, he's – He's not a uh, glitz and glam kind of guy. He He's from a small town in South Dakota. Uh, he played um, his college football. He finished his career anyway at Oklahoma. He's not like a – this city's 
more than enough for him in that way. He, he's well, of course, Metro Knoxville is like a million people now in terms of the metro area. But um, it, it, so it's not a town; it's a city. But um, you know, I, I think he fits here. I think he's comfortable here. His family likes it here. Uh, his assistants are happy here for the most part, I think. And and I think um, it's hard to say because, you know, what if one day like Oklahoma came calling? You know, that would maybe tug at his heartstrings a little bit, even though he was fired as the OC there at one point. So maybe not the, the best feelings all the time, but that's certainly a place that means a lot to him. Uh, you never really know. Uh, somebody could come w- with enough money that – you know, Tennessee's like, oh gosh, even for us, I don't know if we want to match that. I, I never know, but but I think this, the SEC is so brutal. Uh, this is a, a tough job. It's a tough league. But if you're right. in Tennessee and you do your job right, you can be successful. And, and I think he's happy here. And, and I don't think he's certainly in any hurry to go anywhere right now. I hope not for Tennessee because it's like I said, with the, you know, after the, uh, what T Martin back in the day with that national championship and, it's, uh, you know, you would think it, it's kind of ironic because there's certain teams like Notre Dame. I was like 15 when they won the national championship, I think in 88 is the last time. And Tennessee is another one that you would you would think with a proud tradition like we talk about that they would have a, another championship or two under their belt between now and then. Well, what happened, it's kind of a long story because Tennessee put itself in this position, but also uh, programs around Tennessee started to figure some things out. You know, things just happened for Tennessee at the wrong time. Tennessee, for the longest time, was the model of consistency. I mean, I think Tennessee and Michigan were like the only programs that had never lost seven games in a season. I mean, they were just kind of consistently every year at least pretty good. Um, But what happened was Tennessee made a change uh, coaching with Fulmer, Kiffin comes in, then a year later he goes and he regrets it, but he did. He left. He, he, yeah. he could do it over again. He wouldn't have done it. And he admits that, but he left. And then, then Dooley comes in. You got three coaches in three years. Unless you're Arkansas State, that's going to give you problems, right? I mean, they change their coach every time the wind blows there, but they still seem to be pretty good most of the time. Uh, and, and, but at Tennessee, that happened and it really put them behind scholarship numbers. You know, third system in three years. And then Georgia started figuring out what Georgia should have been all along. You know, uh, Kentucky hires Stoops and, and starts to kind of get things going in a better direction. Vanderbilt for a while has James Franklin and is is a competitive team. Right. Um, you know, Clemson becomes a, a dominant force nationally, uh, which, you know, Clemson's really pretty close to Knoxville, and, and they, bumped, they bumped heads a lot in recruiting. And a lot of players that used to go to Tennessee started going to – started go, used to go to Tennessee, went to Clemson, right? I mean, uh, that national championship team for Clemson, you had a wide receiver from Knoxville Catholic High School. You had a quarterback who's from Upper East Tennessee and grew up a Tennessee fan. Uh, you had also a wide receiver from Oak Ridge High School, which is just a stone's throw down the road. I mean, they, they, they've had, um, you know, th- those kind of things impacted Tennessee. North Carolina made some better hires in football and started to get a little bit better. Just everything, things kind of came at the wrong time for Tennessee. You had Saban, you had all these guys, um, you know, Georgia figuring it out, and, and Tennessee – it's kind of like if you're a NASCAR person, like you fall out of the draft in Talladega or Daytona, it's hard to catch up. And and everything just happened at the wrong time for them. And um, they kept digging the hole worse themselves. And lo and behold, you look up and you're a top 10 all-time winning program, but you've kind of sucked for a decade. And and that's what happened to Tennessee. You're watching and listening to the Inside Slant, a weekly college football preview. We're visiting now. Uh with Wes Rucker from 24-7 Sports with Go Vols. And uh, we, there's a couple people we want to mention, too, that uh, had – if you have a question or comment tonight, we got a couple for Facebook. 
if you want to take them, Wes, uh, let's uh, do the first one here uh, from sure. one of our regulars, Johnny Gardner. He asked, how is the freshman wide receiver Webb progressing? Uh, I think Caleb Webb's a good player. Um, you know, it's kind of a problem right now at Tennessee in that there's a lot of places where Tennessee would like to have better depth. Tennessee's got a bunch of dudes at wide receiver, um, but I think Caleb Webb is is a nice player. I don't know how much he's going to play this year, but he is progressing well. Tennessee staff likes him, uh, and I think he's a guy who – I, I remember the first time I talked about Caleb Webb after he enrolled, I was talking to Hendon Hooker and he said that, that you know, he, he threw a ball up in the end zone kind of in practice, maybe a ball you wouldn't throw in a game, but you throw in practice um, right. just to kind of give your receiver a shot. And he said Webb kind of went up there and plucked away a 50-50 ball from an older DB. And he was like, whoa, okay, kid, I didn't know you could do that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think Caleb Webb, uh, Chaz Nimrod also is a kid who I think is a freshman at Tennessee with a world-class name. Um, but he's also a good player. And then another world-class name, the freshman wide receiver, Squirrel White, one of the fastest college football players I've seen. Uh, he, he's had a couple big plays already at Tennessee. He's a kid who um, wouldn't shock me if he made a big play on Saturday. And let's pick up Craig's question. Craig is from the great state of Virginia. He said, what's a fun fact about Tennessee that people associated with the program would know, but outsiders may not? That outsiders may not. Let's see here. I think what's interesting about Tennessee um, is, well, first off, I mean, the nickname volunteers, you don't really see that one very often. That's a really interesting thing. Like you, you can't, you, you got a lot of Eagles and Tigers and other things. You don't see a lot of volunteers, but I think what's interesting about Tennessee as a program is if you kind of just look at a map and Tennessee touches, I think was it, it's like seven or nine other States. Eight, eight states. Yeah. Eight States. There you go. Split the difference. Yeah. Eight. And, and so what's interesting is when you go to different parts of the state, you find how much different games mean to different people. Like there's people in West Tennessee who things stop for them when it's like a Tennessee Ole Miss game, you know, whereas people on the East side of the state are like, man, until Lane Kiffin was there, it wasn't really that big of a deal. You know, you got people who live in Chattanooga who like live and die with that Tennessee Georgia game. You know, you got people who live up in the tri cities who get really excited when like Tennessee and Virginia tech play, you know I mean? Cause, cause they're just, you know, what, a couple hours away from each other. Um, you know, Tennessee's randomly a border has a border with Missouri. I, I mean, and, and so you got people over there who care a little bit about that. It, 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 it's that's what's interesting to me about Tennessee is just the way that it's shaped geographically and, and how weird the state is in, in terms of the, the the just how much different games mean to different people. Because there's nothing more important than the than the Tennessee Alabama rivalry. It's one of the most historically significant in all of college football. It's a big deal. They have to play it every year. Uh, it, it is a big, big deal. Um, but uh, other than that, I mean, there's people who live up in Jellicoe in that area who Tennessee, they just want to beat Kentucky. You know, I mean, it, it's uh, the national people, obviously, you know, they, you lose a Vanderbilt, your life's hell for a while. So um, <laughs> I think that's it. That's an interesting part of it for, for me is that just sort of because of the way Tennessee is shaped, that that really has a, an interesting imprint on the program. Um, and also one other interesting thing is that uh, and Tennessee's used this line in recruiting for years because it's true where Knoxville is, you can get to, I think two thirds of, of the population of the U S in one day's drive. So, um, you know, you can get up to Canada pretty quickly, uh, quicker than you can get from Johnson city to Memphis. It seems like, you know, I mean, it, it's, um, you can go to a lot of places in recruiting and I think that helps Tennessee too. You're talking about Tennessee and uh, those of us that are in North Carolina, I'm actually in the Eastern part of the state closer to Greenville where East Carolina is located. Uh, yep. Bubba's in the Western part of North Carolina. I've noticed that there's a lot, you were talking about 
there's a lot of uh, people that are uh, Tennessee fans that are in Western North Carolina as well. Yeah, those are I think those are called Vol uh, the Vol Heels. Um, you know, they kind of like uh, traditionally, uh, unless Ernie and Bernie were at Tennessee, they were kind of Tennessee football fans and then UNC basketball fans in some way. You know, yeah. uh, they just kind of pick whichever one was better in whichever sport. Um, but yeah, I mean, there there is a lot, and, and Tennessee does that Big Orange Caravan thing every year where they go around talk to different booster clubs around the country, and and I'm consistently amazed by no matter where it is. You know, you go to obviously Atlanta, you know, Charlotte. Uh, I've been to a couple like in Florida. You know, there's one in DC. Um, you know, New York, Chicago, where like these these bars and areas get like full, full. And, and there's like, a you know, in New York City, there's a one of the bars there is a, like a Tennessee bar on Saturdays and, and where the alumni meet. And um, that's I guess it shouldn't be surprising because the school's got almost like 30,000 students or whatever. It's going to have a lot of alumni. Um, but just the imprint of, of Tennessee around the country is something that um, has always if you're maybe on the West coast or maybe you're not super familiar with the sec, you know, you might not know it, but you know, it's, if Tennessee played a game on the surface of Mars, you would have a lot of people there wearing orange. Um, and you can obviously take a boat to the game and at the stadium, which is kind of neat too. It's going to be uh, really interesting to see about the, with that, that we're talking about the great story with obviously Kansas, what Josh Heupel and, and obviously, you have a great athletic director too. So um, coming over from UCF uh, with Danny White, so um, that yeah, helps. I mean, you think, you think, yeah, you think about it in football. There, like right now, I, I think um, last year at the end of the baseball season, regular season, um, they were ranked number one nationally. At the end of the basketball season, they're ranked number five nationally, and right now in football, they're ranked number eight nationally. So they're they're winning right now. Um, they, they need to get more ships. Um, but in terms of kind of putting yourself in position in the regular season. They're kind of getting back to what they should be. All right. Sorry, I lost you there. It froze up a little bit, but uh, uh, certainly with, I know with the the impact uh, with Tennessee having a great baseball program and basketball and you're talking about all that. So I know it's been a great time if you're a Vols fan uh, for sure. Looking forward to another great season, I'm sure with, um, basketball and with baseball I'd love to have you back on uh, well tell everybody before we let you go man how, how can uh, we obviously are big fans of 24 7 sports with steven igo with yeah. voice colors a, a good guy and our very first guest of the show by the way um how can people follow you and i'm sure we can just click over and and follow your work if you're already on 24 7 with that network you can do that but how can people follow your work well, if someone would actually come over to Old North Knoxville right now, which is where I live, and help me uh, finish my couple stories for the night and pack a bag before I leave for Baton Rouge tomorrow, that would be really nice. Okay. Um, but 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 in terms of uh, finding the stuff, yeah, the, you can go to GoVols247.com, uh, where we've got a six-person staff that, that covers Tennessee in every sport, um, you know, travels to every sport, everywhere Tennessee plays. We're going to be there. we got coverage for you, uh, round-the-clock, you know, recruiting coverage throughout the year, obviously, in every sport. Um, you know, the podcast that comes out, you know, about three times a week there, the Go Boss 24-7 podcast. Um, but you can get started, um, and it's always free for a while to, to check it out there. Good, got a good deal. Go to GoBoss247.com, or if you want to uh, uh, just come say hey to me on Twitter, that's uh, Twitter.com slash WestRucker247. Wes, great to have you on. Great uh, visit with you tonight. Uh, good luck to the Vols the rest of the way. And love to have you back on, certainly, with uh, maybe the end of the football season, basketball and baseball, for sure. No problem. Anytime, guys. Be well. Have a good weekend. You too. Take care.
Bye-bye. Great stuff there. Appreciate Wes very much and a uh, great guest, great knowledge there. And Hey Bubba, I, I have to say that when he was talking about Tennessee school for the deaf, a lot of great people there. I'm a huge fan of Knoxville. Um, I've been, like I said, to Neyland stadium twice. It was just, I don't, I, you've been to, I believe you've been there. Haven't you Bubba? I have, uh, I, I've only been to the spring game. Um, it's when I, when I was going to school at university of the Cumberlands and uh, Cumberland college as it was then. Uh, but okay. I did have a chance to go to a, a spring game uh, there, the orange-white game, and I you know, went to camp there back, I guess it was between my seventh and eighth grade years in the summer of 1995. It was actually the year that the Pirates played over there. Yeah, the Labor Day. Uh, and, uh, yeah, played against Peyton Manning in his, his freshman, freshman season. But, um, yep. but, yeah, earlier today I actually had the opportunity to – to uh, catch up with Brent Beard, you know, SEC uh, focused podcaster, and he, he's on a lot of shows throughout the Southeast, uh, be it in the state of Florida, Alabama, etc. And uh, you know, kind of a, a fun fact about Brent is he has a twin brother in the state of Alabama, and it's an identical twin. And uh, you know they look and sound just alike, and it's hard to tell the two apart. And he also, you know, he covers college football. And uh, where Brent is more focused on, you know, the Florida Gators and uh, the SEC there, um, in the based out of the Jacksonville, Florida area. His brother is, I want to say, right in the right around uh, Birmingham. So, uh, Brent Beard, uh, ec- excellent uh, conversation that we had earlier this afternoon. And uh, let's go to that conversation with Brent Beard, the host of the Second Helping podcast. And then uh, also a Heisman Trophy voter. And uh, here's that conversation with him right now. Now on the inside slant, very excited to be joined by a guy we've had on the show before, uh, the co-host of the Second Helping Podcast. He's also been a Heisman voter for years, does a variety of other interviews throughout the Southeast. Welcome back to the show, Brent Beard. Brent, we appreciate your time this evening. Uh, glad to be all with you. And uh, as we head into another big week of college football, I, I really don't want to say that we're nearing the halfway point because that that would uh, upset me too much. But we're we're enjoying every moment and every weekend, right? No doubt. I'm right there with you. I'm, I was thinking about that. It's crazy. You know, you wait forever for it to get here. And then yeah. uh, when it arrives, it's, it's uh, here and gone in a blink of an eye. It's hard to believe it's week six. But um, you know, taking a look at, well, I know your primary focus is the SEC, obviously, and as your co-host, as I mentioned, of the Second Helping Podcast. Uh, so we'll start there and then maybe touch on a few national notes. Um, but obviously a huge matchup this weekend down in Baton Rouge. Uh, you have number eight, Tennessee, on the Vols are better than they've been in years. Uh, what a job Josh Heupel's done there. They are a slight three-point favorite against uh, number 25 LSU and uh, Brian Kelly has really, you know, steadied the ship after a rough start against Florida State. What are your thoughts on this one? Uh, it should be a really good matchup. I I do like LSU, but simply because uh, I think LSU's got the better defense. <clears throat> the truth of the matter is, Tennessee is 128 out of 131. It's a mouthful, isn't it? Uh, in pass defense laying over 300 yards a game passing. So, But the reality is, can Jaden Daniels, the LSU quarterback, who against Auburn last week threw for 
a whopping 80 yards, can they improve to the point to where uh, the passing game will be a real factor for LSU? Uh, John Emery, gosh, if people haven't seen what he was able to do last week, uh, Emory just ran all over Auburn. Uh, now, he had been suspended all of last year and the first two games of this year, but he came back. So that adds a lot to the rushing attack. But what I do like that Brian Kelly has done early, uh, defense travels, doesn't it, Bubba? And wh- what you've got here is uh, defensively, they are playing well, hoping the offense will – uh, catch up. I know they regret that early loss to uh, Florida State, but they were trying to figure it out and made a made a, a season's worth of mistakes in that loss. Uh, but they are coming back. We don't know for Tennessee when Cedric Tillman's going to return. Uh, the really good wide receiver, Brew McCoy, is back in uh, uh, doing very well for uh, Tennessee. I mean, Hen and Hooker's a Heisman candidate that everyone's looking at this point. Uh, and why is this a noon game is, is another question that I would have uh, as much of a significant factor it is in the league. Uh, but, yes, I, I'm with you. It should be a lot of fun. Uh, and if LSU can do anything throwing the ball, I think their defense is going to be stout enough for them to win the game. But but I, but I would agree this – this easily and may be the headline game of the week. That's an excellent question regarding the, the game time. I was stunned when I looked this one up uh, last night and saw that it was a nooner instead of you yeah. know three three thirty or a night game because uh, I was thinking, hey, how's Hendon Hooker and that uh, Tennessee offense going to handle the the environment there at Tiger Stadium in a potential night game? And I saw it was twelve o'clock, but. Uh, yeah, very intriguing quarterback matchup. I'm very interested to see how he handles that LSU defense, which is solid. And then you mentioned Jaden Daniels. Um, very interested to see how he does. Um, I think he'll do very well if um, Tennessee's and those sets you rattled off or any indication. Uh, also, Bubba, the, the, we, we've been talking about Jaden Daniels. He actually got hurt in, in the game. They took him out for a while. There was no structural damage. Garrett Nussmeyer got in for, for a little bit, but I still think Daniels will be the guy, and he should be healthy enough to go. Moving on, um, going up to Stark, Vegas, uh, you have number 23, Mississippi State, entered the poll after – their victory over Jimbo Fisher and the Texas A&M Aggies, 42-24 to last weekend in Starkville. Um, they are going to be going against uh, Arkansas secondary that has been um, you know, chewed up pretty well. Uh, it has. And, and listen, this is a big part of this game. We're not sure yet if K.J. Jefferson's even going to play. Uh, the Arkansas quarterback, he has had a um, uh, an injury – uh, in the Alabama game, and it was a situation where if he didn't practice by the end of the week, uh, he was not going to play. So there remained some mystery there. Uh, but, and again, Arkansas uh, struggled at the end against Alabama. They had a great comeback, frankly, after Bryce Young got hurt. 
Uh, and I, I love Rocket Sanders. I mean, he gained over 100 yards on a very good Alabama defense. Uh, but the Hogs uh, could not uh, derail the Alabama running game with Jameer Gibbs uh, in the fourth quarter uh, of, of that one. So, uh, and, and when Jalen Catalan went out uh, for Arkansas uh, in that secondary, that really hurt them. Uh, and they were in a situation, Bubba, where they led the league in sacks. <laughs> But they were last in the league in pass defense. That's an odd. That's an odd combination, is it not? Uh, but uh, I think I think all in all, the this this will be a very interesting game. Again, a lot of it a lot of it going to depend upon um, how uh, Jefferson's doing. But boy, uh, State has really uh, I think been. One of the I don't know if surprises is a, is the the best word, but I think all in all they've been fairly consistent. I know with the LSU game that it, it really wasn't as much, but I but, but I really appreciate what uh, they what uh, State has done. Mike Leach has been great uh, as far as what they do. Will Rogers is one of the better uh, quarterbacks in the league. Uh, throws about 50 passes every game, and that's no exaggeration. But their offense is so good in so many ways uh, as far as just for for what they do. And they actually ran the ball for 144 yards last week, uh, which was very impressive. Uh, But defense, uh, very tough. One of the better secondaries anywhere. I think State probably wins this game. But, Bubba, I will say, even though Arkansas will be on a losing streak, I still think that the Hogs end up at least seven and five, eight and four. And I still think Sam Pittman's done one of the better jobs in the entire league. Definitely agree with you regarding Sam Pittman, a big fan of his. Um, what a character and uh, awesome personality. But, um, you know, sticking within the SEC West, you know, Tell us about that matchup with Alabama and Texas A&M. Uh, it's a game that most people, understandably, expect to be very lopsided. The, the Crimson Tide's a 24-point favorite. Uh, this was supposed to be, at the beginning of the year, the game of the year, uh, and game day would be there. Well, game day's not going to be there. Game day is going to be in Kansas for the TCU game, and game day will not be at the Red River shootout with OU in Texas. Uh, either because both teams are unranked for the first time in decades. I think Bama wins this game, certainly a revenge game for them. They've had this game circle, Bubba, for for months, frankly. Now, the big question is, will Bryce Young play? And if he plays, how how much will it be? Jalen Milrow um, got some very valuable experience in the win over Arkansas. His 77-yard run really got the tide rolling again, and then they started running Jameer Gibbs behind a a really good performance by that offensive line. McLaughlin, the center for Alabama, uh, really made a a real impact in the center of that offensive line. But uh, games in Tuscaloosa, Tide fans will certainly be up for this game. Doesn't mean Bama's perfect. They they've got wide receivers who are dropping the ball. They've got to get separation. 
We haven't seen Tyler Harrell yet, the uh, Louisville transfer uh, at Alabama. And, and as far as A&M's concerned, uh, could Connor Wiegman, the freshman quarterback, play a little bit? Uh, Max Johnson got hurt uh, in the game last week, so they're kind of been revolving quarterbacks. Um, Devon A-Chain is the best running back, uh, certainly in the top five in the league, and he will carry that offense. Anaya Smith, one of the better AM players, got hurt a few weeks ago. He's out for the year, unfortunately. The offensive line for AM is really struggling uh, at this point. And AM, frankly, Bub is looking at another eight and four, seven and five year, which can't make those folks happy. But Jimbo's got about a $90 million buyout. So he certainly is not going anywhere. But he's got some real decisions to make as the year goes along. They're they're good defensively, uh, except that we didn't see we didn't see that much against Mississippi State, did we? But I think the tide rolls in a big revenge game for them uh, as Alabama gets ready next week for a gargantuan game going to Knoxville against Tennessee. No doubt, and uh, you know, shifting over to the SEC East, and you have number thirteen Kentucky coming off that loss down in Oxford. Um, you know, very competitive game, uh, entertaining game against the Rebels, uh, who are now in the top ten. Um, but Kentucky, you know, Will Levis, very talented quarterback, but they've really struggled to protect him, and you know, he he's been beat up. I know he's currently listed as questionable for Saturday's game against South Carolina. Yeah, that, that's the big question in this game, uh, frankly, is will he play? Now, and I give Matt Jones from the Kentucky Sports Network credit for this. Matt said that it's not his finger that's hurt. It's another injury. We don't know what that is. We know Levis is a tough kid, and I think he'll probably end up playing, but <clears throat> we're not sure about that. Now, what helps Kentucky is Chris Rodriguez is back, running back, he didn't have 100 yards against Ole Miss because I'm sure he was a marked man, but he makes such a difference. Cavassier um, uh, Smoke uh, certainly is very good. Uh, the Kentucky offensive line is struggling. This is amazing, Bubba, but they we, we, we're barely at the halfway point of the season, and um, Will Levis has been sacked almost as many times so far as he was in the entire season last year. <laughs> that doesn't bode well at all, does it? But a South Carolina team that that is struggling itself, Spencer Rattler already has seven interceptions. That's got to improve. Marshawn Lloyd is back. He showed some flashes, and they really need him. But I think that this is a game where uh, Kentucky is just too tough uh, and just a much, much better team right now than South Carolina is. Some of the other games transpiring this weekend uh, around the league, uh, you have Florida hosting Missouri. Obviously, Missouri nearly uh, shocked Georgia a week ago. And then you also have number nine Ole Miss uh, traveling up to Nashville, 17-point favorite, as you would expect. And uh, so what, what are your thoughts on some of those other games? I also uh, have not mentioned the oldest rivalry in the South, which is number two, Georgia, taking on Auburn. The dogs are 29 and a half to 30 point favorite, depending on where you look. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Georgia's beaten Auburn uh, like 14 of the last 17 times they played. Auburn's really struggled in the second half. 
just be able to score. Uh, and and I think that that will continue against the Georgia defense. Now, Georgia's not perfect. We've seen that in the last two games against Kent State, Missouri. They've had trouble on the offensive line. They've had trouble running the ball. They ran the ball uh, for three yards, a carry in the first half last week, and then seven in the second half, which made a difference uh, with that one too. But Georgia will rebound against Auburn. And there's some rumors that, if they lose that game, Brian Harson could be fired afterwards against one of after losing to Auburn's biggest rival besides Alabama. Look, I like Harson. I, I get the fact that he's on the hot seat, but Auburn's created this problem themselves, and firing Harson is not necessarily going to get rid of the problem because they're just lacking talent right now. Is a lot of it, but I think the bottom line is Georgia would be more balanced. They'd be more intense. The game's in Athens, so that will make a uh, big difference, too. Ole Miss, you mentioned, has played really well. Um, uh, obviously, Luke Altmyer and Jackson Dart, their completion percentage is nowhere near what it's been uh, over the last few years. It's like 59%. Uh, and last year, it was uh, like uh, 10, uh, 10 percentage points better, but – uh, the great thing for Ole Miss is is, is what they, they're doing to uh, uh, be able to run the ball. They lead the, the SEC in running. People think Lane Kiffin just likes to throw it all over the place, but everywhere Lane's been, <clears throat> he likes to run the ball. So that that's the thing that you see. Vanderbilt, unfortunately, even with improvement, Bubba is last in the SEC in pretty much all the defensive categories. Um, Florida, Missouri is an interesting game. Uh, Florida, I think, getting better um, uh, at this point with the Billy Napier. I love Napier. I think Napier is going to do a great job uh, at Florida once he gets the talent there, and they just don't have it as of yet. Anthony Richardson playing well. I thought the, the, the Kitna kid got in the game, the backup quarterback. His dad obviously played in the NFL. I thought that was significant, but Florida's strings is an offensive line and it's uh, running backs. So that that's how, how well they play. They've got to shore up that defense. They've got to have Bentro Miller in there, Britton Cox, Amari Bernie, among some of the guys uh, who are playing well. I don't know emotionally, frankly, <clears throat> after the game at Auburn and the Georgia game, what Missouri's got left in the tank. Uh, do they play hard? And I think Brady Cook's a good quarterback. They're still trying to replace Tyler Beatty, who is one of the better running backs in the league, who went to the NFL. Uh, but again, uh, I, listen, Bubba, the, the 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 big thing for the league this week is who's going to play at quarterback or maybe even who's not going to play at quarterback. Will Bryce Young play at Alabama? Will Levis at Kentucky and K.J. Jefferson – at Auburn, at, at Arkansas, uh, at that, listen, that would make a real uh, uh, difficulty for those teams if those starting quarterbacks, all three of the best in the league, don't play. No doubt. And uh, Brent, really appreciate your time this evening. If you would, you know, tell folks how they can listen to your show and how they can follow you on social media. Yeah, I appreciate that. At Brent Beard, B-E-A-I-R-D. Uh, is my Twitter. 
account, uh, First Coast News. I'm the college football analyst for them here in uh, the Jacksonville, Florida area. And also uh, Second Helping is a podcast I do with Travis Ryer, the senior analyst for uh, Bama Online. And the SEC is uh, kind of in all caps uh, with Second Helping. So look that up and, and folks and give us a list and we would appreciate that. And uh, Bubba, always enjoy talking some SEC football with you. What a great, uh, he, I tell you what, what a legend. I love uh, him and I appreciate you, Bubba, very much for having him on. Uh, I know we want to uh, talk about a few more games and then we'll come promote our content and get out of here. But uh, certainly when you look at uh, Bubba, I've got some games. Are you ready to talk some games? Yeah, one of the teams we have mentioned, but we had not mentioned this matchup, I don't believe, and that's number 11, Utah, going out to Westwood to take on the 18th-ranked UCLA Bruins. We talked about how UCLA is 5-0 and and really um, playing well under Chip Kelly. I mean, you know, so many trying times over the last few years since uh, Kelly took that job. And you were wondering, hey, is this even going to work out? But uh, but now it certainly seems like it will. And I'm um, going to be interested to see how it goes. Uh, and their quarterback, uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, you know, he's uh, had a heck of a year so far, completing right at 75% of his passes, 11 touchdowns, to just one pick, and has thrown for over 1,200 yards um, while also running for a little over 200 yards and three scores. Uh, yeah, I tell you, well, Bubba, the, one of the games I'm going to be paying attention to is actually two of our opponents uh, in the American Houston's at Memphis on Saturday night, and that's going to be on ESPN two at seven thirty. I'm looking forward. to I know you and Bubba, um, you and Bubba, you and Kyle and Matt and I uh, love the American, and we love uh, following all of college football. But it's also interesting to see uh, future Pirate opponents and and how they play out. But that's a game that yeah. I'm forward to watching on Saturday night after the Pirate, uh, hopefully Pirate victory. Yeah, and the Memphis Tigers will be coming to Dowdy Fickling on October 15th for a 7.30 kickoff. And, you know, like you were saying, uh, as much as Memphis wants to win that one, Houston needs to win it in the worst way. Um, they're um, really having some struggles here in the first half of the season. No doubt. Hey, Bubba, I'm just curious. Do you think uh, – I, I don't know what that buyout is, and uh, but do you think at some point? I mean, we thought that by now that uh, those of us that know the Houston, a lot of uh, Houston folks uh, that come on our show, but you would think by now that Holgerson would really have this program cooking. I mean, I was thinking about him uh, last night. As a matter of fact, he's getting. Remember, Bubba, we were like, wow, the wow factor was a ten, four million dollars a year to coach at Houston. And with those that Houston fan base, and uh, Bubba, I know that you're about a decade younger. My memory serves me right. When I was a kid, the Southwest Conference, we talked about on the show before, but man, Houston was huge back in the 80s when I was growing up following college football and um, being a fan. And that, those were the kind of teams in that Southwest Conference. That's who was on uh, Saturday. Either liked that or you didn't. <laughs> and maybe Alabama, Notre Dame thrown in there, but um, how many more games? Uh, maybe he'll make it this year, but he, he's just one that uh, I just see them, unless the buyout is so much that they can't afford it. Uh, I'm just, 
I'm ready to uh, to see that. Um, that well, it's, end. It's, it's frustrating as the start has been this year, being two and three and zero oh and one after being a, a top twenty five team, and you know expected to to contend for the AAC, and they still could. But uh, going back to last year, uh, you know, I don't think his job is in jeopardy this year unless, you know, the wheels totally fall off and, uh, and, you know, they may only win a game or something down the stretch, which I don't think is going to happen because you look at it last year, they were 12-2 and and in 8-0 in the AAC and then obviously right. lost the championship game at Cincinnati, so – I think uh, when you when you go twelve and two, eight and zero, oh, and you know they're moving to the the Big Twelve, uh, I think um, there's enough positive things going going on when you have that type of success that you had last year. Even as frustrating as the two previous years were, the coach Holgerson uh, will certainly uh, you know, be on solid footing for the next next year too. Uh, I definitely hope so, and uh, we'll see. We'll see. I just uh, – uh, by the way, Brandon, thank you so much. The game is actually – I was talking about Memphis and Houston. It's actually tomorrow night. I misspoke, so thank you for that. I, I did know that, but I said Saturday, meaning I should have said Friday night. So um, if you're watching the live, it'll be tomorrow night. It Maybe you're actually viewing it or uh, our uh, archives. Uh, it'll be Friday for some of you that are doing that, so we'll see. Uh, some other games of notes uh, for me, certainly uh, UNC is at Miami, and that'll be 4 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. I knew a big one, uh, Bubba, believe it or not. How about uh, Mike Elgo going down to Atlanta, and they're going to be taking on Georgia Tech's the Yellow Jackets at 4 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. So we'll see how um, if the Blue Devils can win another one, going 5-1. and one. Yeah, a Georgia Tech team is coming off a, yeah, that was a, great a, a very surprising win over uh, Pittsburgh. You know, they cut Jeff Collins loose as well as the AD, and then they go up to Pittsburgh and are victorious at the – I don't remember what they call it now, the former Hinesville. I, I, Hinesville was so easy to – exactly, but Hinesville was so easy uh, to remember. We have people that are national hosts that I hear all the time on radio, whether it's terrestrial radio or satellite radio, and they cannot remember the name of that city so – uh, you, you and I are not alone in that, my friend. How about Notre Dame BYU? That's going to be in a great one Saturday night on NBC, Bub at seven thirty. Another one that has my eye. Yeah, that's an intriguing matchup for a number of reasons. Um, but you, you had Notre Dame who started the year in the, the top ten, and obviously they got knocked off by Marshall, and then uh, suffered another loss, and then, you know, in. You take a look at it now, um, it's kind of uh, a bit of a role reversal where they're they're the, um, they're actually the favorite, but they're the team that's unranked, and you have BYU that's essentially in the top 15, I think 16th in uh, one poll, and I'm not sure about the other. But um, despite that, um, going on the road to South Bend, they're a three or three-and-a-half point dog to the Fighting Irish, and – BYU, um, that was a rivalry game last week uh, where they struggled uh, before putting Utah State away in the second half. But uh, intrigued to see how this one will play out, uh, not only um, you know for the obvious reasons, but uh, also um, with East Carolina playing BYU here in a few weeks. Um, intrigued to see how 
how the Cougars are going to be playing uh, leading into that matchup on that Friday night in Provo when the Pirates head out there. I got a couple more games. I know, Bubba, we're running a little bit long tonight. How about Florida State going to Raleigh uh, to NC State? We'll see if NC State can keep it going. Dave Doran and company. And that's going to be on the ACC Network at 8 o'clock on Saturday night. So what's your thoughts on Florida State versus NC State? Yeah, two teams coming off of um, hard-fought losses. NC State falling 30-20 to down in Death Valley, a game that was a four-quarter ball game. And then a top-10 matchup. And then you had Wake Forest, um, you know, knocking off Florida State in Tallahassee on the previous undefeated Seminoles. Uh, mm-hmm. Wake Forest coming off a hard, a hard-fought loss in overtime to uh, Clemson. So, um, will be very interesting to see, uh, you know, Florida State, um, you know, how they, how they handle a road trip against a, a very solid opponent like NC State. Um, coming off their initial loss of the season. No doubt about it. And uh, we're talking about NC State. Um, you know, hopefully Wolfpack fans won't be the typical. I haven't heard them this week because obviously I'm an East Carolina guy, but I hope they won't be down in the dumps because they've got a good football program. And uh, we'll see how it put the second half of the season plays out. The last one I have, uh, Bubba, is uh, one that I think is the most overrated coach in all of college football. And that would be Jimbo Fisher, the Texas A&M Aggies, going to Tuscaloosa. And that's going to be with Alabama and Crimson Tide. At, that's on CBS at 8 o'clock. I, I, the reason I picked that is just uh, I, I think that's uh, being one of the primetime matchups. Um, I, I think Alabama wins that one big. But um, that yeah, I heard you talk about that game and with Brennan. Uh, I didn't know the reason I brought – that's why I brought that game up. I didn't know that Jimbo has a $90 million buyout. Um, that's in, if that's Wow, that's just incredible. Did you know that, Bubba? I, I didn't recall exactly what the buyout was. I knew, I, knew, uh, I knew it was probably somewhere in that neighborhood. I mean, based on – I know his initial contract, he was making – 75 million over 10 yeah. years. And then I knew that had been upped to uh, 90 or a hundred million. So <laughs> doesn't wow. shock me, but um, yeah, I think Jimbo's certainly safe uh, for this year, you know, in the, unless the you know, things just totally fell apart, which I don't think is going to happen. But uh, nonetheless, the, the Aggies uh, are not going to be happy with a, if they go eight and four or something of that nature. But uh, another game that uh, I don't think we've mentioned that I'm definitely intrigued by is, uh, I think, 3-2 and two Oklahoma against 3-2 and two yeah. Texas. Texas has a loss in the Big 12, obviously, at Texas Tech. And then Oklahoma uh, dropped uh, two conference games, losing at home to K-State um, before getting blown out last week in Fort Worth. So if Oklahoma is going to have a chance to contend this year in a very uh, – uh, you know, parody ridden Big 12, I guess you could say. Um, it's definitely not out of the realm of possibility for them to have a chance to compete for the conference championship with two losses. But uh, if they fall in the Red River shootout, and I'm not going to call it the Red River rivalry, I'll, I'll still call it the Red River shootout, um, they they are going to uh, you know have to find a way to uh, take care of business against the Longhorns 
at the state fair there at the Cotton Bowl. Uh, yeah, that's still a, you're exactly right, Bob. It doesn't matter. They're not ranked. That is a huge game every year in college football. And you, you can't go a year without talking about that matchup. So thank you for, uh, I'm extremely, I usually don't mention this, but I'm extremely exhausted tonight. Uh, it's been a long week at, uh, or a couple weeks at work and personally and professionally. Bubba knows how I am with, um, he has work and then being, having a family, you have kids playing sports. Uh, so it's been uh, no complaints, though. I enjoy every single second of it, uh, for sure. And by the way, Bubba, before we go, I've got one more thing that I'm going to mention. I'm really proud of my alma mater, my high school alma mater. And I know this is a college football preview, but I want to give a shout out to Brian Pascal and all the great folks at Riverside High School. 7-0, and Bubba. The big matchup, I wish we lived closer, is this coming Friday night. Not tomorrow night. They have a bye. But they're taking on Tarboro, and Tarboro, as you know, is one of the best uh, teams in eastern North Carolina in the state of North Carolina, 1A. And uh, it's going to be a great matchup. Tarboro has a loss, and the Knights, Riverside, don't. And um, that's going to be in Williamston. And you know it's going to be a huge matchup. Uh, cannot wait. I wish it was this coming uh, or tomorrow night and not uh, a week away. But anyway, I'm looking for that. All right, so I want to remind everybody about our great programming. Uh, by the way, uh, make sure that you do that. I love, I love, I love um, our programming. I want to give a shout-out to Coach Jeff Connors, Advanced um, <clears throat> Empowerment. He actually has done a great job uh, on our show every Monday night. He's got lots of great guests and a lot of great ones coming up um, in the next few weeks. So make sure that you absolute empowerment. Uh, on Monday nights. And then how about uh, coming up on Tuesdays? We have our Pirate Preview. We had a great one there. If you haven't had a chance to listen about the Pirates, big matchup, we had Corey Glory on Tuesday night. And of course, last night we had Sonny and Semenza. Love those two guys. Uh, I'm telling you, they're awesome. And also the Pirate Breakdown. I was actually a special guest last night uh, with Sutton Young. Of course, Thursday night's the Inside Slant as we get you ready for a weekly college football preview. And then tomorrow, oh my goodness, Bubba has got a great guest uh, for Pirates Life for me, Maurice Kemp. Are you kidding me? I cannot wait to, uh, Bubba does a nice job with that show. And Sights and Sounds, we won't have that because it's not a home game for Saturday. And then on Sunday, Sunday night, we look back and reflect, hopefully on a Pirate win uh, against Tulane and the Green Wave. That's a 3.30 game, as you guys may know. On ESPNU, people, Pirate fans are upset. All these ESPN Plus matches. Well, guess what? Uh, we have a game on national television, and that'll be, again, Saturday afternoon, 3.30 Eastern, 2.30 Central on ESPNU. Looking forward to it for sure. want to remind everyone to, obviously, uh, we have some great supporters of the program. If you'd like to be a sponsor, then get a hold of us, and you can do so by emailing the show. And you can do that, thesportsobj at gmail.com, thesportsobj at gmail.com. Get in touch with us. Love to have you. There are a lot of people that are uh, getting ready to sponsor us soon. So looking forward to that. And LNK Custom Homes, they are actually Kevin Walker. I want to thank uh, Kev for his support of the program. And in fact, uh, he's a title sponsor for the Pirate Playback every Sunday night. Kevin was one of the best ever to be one of the best D-backs, you could argue for sure. That 1983 team had, I believe it was eight different uh, members of uh, 
went on to play drafted between the NFL and CFL and USFL, I believe, if my memory serves me right. Um, but Kev, appreciate him supporting the program. Um, again, LNK Custom Homes. Check out his work on Facebook. It's tremendous. Also want to remind you about Porky's Backyard Barbecue. In fact, uh, Porky's, you can contact the Holiday Brothers. And tomorrow night, ladies and gentlemen, come on out because yours truly, I am going to be doing karaoke along from uh, along with my good friend, Charles Smith. We call him Sir Charles. Uh, Mitchell Griffin, my good friend, also will be there. He's a great, those guys are singers, not me. But I'll be twisting the dials and making sure everything happens. And we love uh, karaoke, so come on out. And that is uh, on right in front of the old Walmart shopping center. It's called Roanoke Landing. It was a, uh, back in the day, a Captain D's. And that's where Porky's Backyard Barbecue is in Williamston. It's going to be 7, in the p- 7 p.m. until, and they're going to have barbecue. They have, uh, I believe, barbecue chicken, a lot of great stuff there tomorrow night. It starts at 7 o'clock, and normally they close at 8, but as long as there's people there, uh, they're going to stay open for a good, t- a good while. So if you're buying food and you're singing the night away and enjoying yourself and having a good time, and then come on out to Porky's Back- Backyard Barbecue again. That's tomorrow night. Love to have you for a great night of fun and karaoke, singing, and having a good time. And then last but not least, pgxgloves.com. Mark Minikazi, appreciate his support of the program. Uh, my kids, uh, they play football, ba- uh, football, baseball, and softball. And we get all our clubs, uh, clubs, all our gloves. Uh, they're at pgxgloves.com. If you, in uh, the promo code, if you put ECU, you get 25% off your next order. Thank you, Bubba Rosenbaum. Thank you to all our great guests tonight on the Inside Slant, a weekly college football preview. And we do it every Thursday night live. And, of course, it's archived on our YouTube channel and Facebook. Thank you so much. Have a great night, everybody. And, as always, Go Pirates!